Welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. This week, news from Atlassian, including a look at last week's AWS outage, a discussion over Tempo's budgeting advice, and a look into working with introverts. I'm Ryan Spilkin, and I'm joined today by my hosts with the most, Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell. Matthew, Brenda, hello. Hello. Good to see you, Ryan. So we've got more to talk about in Atlassian news than just the Amazon outage of last week. We've got some major updates that have rolled out to Atlassian cloud users. In fact, this whole episode is kind of cloud-themed. Kind of. Fun fact for our viewers at home, uh, which I recognize you're, you, you're, you can't actually see us, you're just listening, but Atlassian publishes a weekly blog post or, or maybe a series post. I think it's a single post, really, a page with their Atlassian cloud release notes. And much to my chagrin, having worked with the Elastin Tools for over a decade and following their Jira instance and watching bugs and things like that, I had no idea that this blog existed. Uh, Ryan found this. This is their cloud release notes. I actually go to the release notes section to try to find the stuff and never do. Turns out it's in a blog uh, buried in their documentation and, and Ryan's known about it for ages. Uh, so... I now I now get to see all the cloud things, and it's pretty exciting. We will include a link to this blog in uh, the SoundCloud information provided with this podcast. So if you're interested in knowing all the information as well, we'll, we'll have it for you. Yeah, check that description, because this is a thing. I think a lot of people who use cloud, a lot of people who support it, I've never heard of this blog before. I think there's probably a lot of people who don't know it exists, so let's we'll spread the news. And to them, we say you're welcome. So the first thing that caught my eye in this in this week's releases, the March 5th to March 12th release, was the um, rollout of iOS apps that or a compatibility with iOS apps. iOS loves Jira Service Desk. So now we have Service Desk coming to your mobile device. Yeah, and it is an actual honest to God app. Uh, it's it's not just like a web interface. Well, it's it's hard for me to say. It may be just a web interface presented through an app, but uh, it's it's rated well. Looks like it's it's performing well, um, and that's a huge boon. I actually uh, was evaluating something for a company earlier that needs to provide support for Jira through mobile devices in areas that only have 3G and WiMAX and things like that, uh, really rural areas. And this is the type of thing we need more of. So it's exciting to see it coming along. So Brenda, do you have the Jira app on your phone yet? I actually don't. Um, I don't. I typically just use the web interface in the browser on my phone. Uh, but it's really exciting to to see that those apps are rolling out. Um, and and for those of you that aren't on iOS, if you're using Android, um, they are, Atlassian is working on getting an app out for you guys as well. So those of us with iPhones can can rejoice and, and get to our our service desk a little more easily, and everyone else can wait a little bit longer, I guess. Those of us like me uses Android. You can wait. I'll tell you what we're not going to do on this podcast, folks. We're not going to go down that rabbit hole. What else did you guys? <laughs> what else did you guys see on this blog post that that was appealing to you? I think some of the um, changes that have rolled out in Jira Software, where now, and I think this is a tremendous boon, um, Jira Software on the cloud will look at what documents you've tied in your Confluence space and give you an easy access menu in the project menu to see all the pages that are related with a, a software mm. issue um, and project. That's tremendously helpful 
I find myself jumping back and forth between the tools all the time and sometimes digging a little harder in Confluence than I want to. If I had a Jira project where I put it right in my face, that'd be huge. I think we're also seeing some changes to the Jira software boards that um, are inspired by Trello, which I really like. Uh, so one thing they've added is uh, within the Agile boards, if you've got like a, a screenshot or an image on the, on the issue, that'll display in the card view. And this is something I actually use pretty frequently with Trello because that quick visual helps me scan through the cards really quickly when I'm looking for, for features that we're designing. Um, so having that media display as a cards cover image, that's a nice thing to bring over from Trello into Jira software. Oh, when's that coming to server though? Yeah, that, that's always the big question is when do these cloud features go to server? Um, and I actually have a hypothesis about this because uh, for those of you who are on Jira server, I think we're at 7.7 now. And as of 7.7, we still don't even have the new Atlassian logos. So like the, we still have, uh, in many cases, the old capitalization uh, pr- that was prior to September's Atlassian Summit. We don't have the new logos. My guess, uh, unconfirmed, is that when, for instance, Jira 8 comes out, the next big point release, I'm at least hoping that that brings the interface overhaul that we've seen in cloud as well as the new logos and design because as somebody who writes training on the elastic products it is a bit jarring having this mix of old and new logos and, and branding and capitalization things like that so i'm i'm guessing now that we're getting up there in the point releases that 8.0 is going to bring this interface overhaul hopefully from hopefully bring it from cloud to server Remember, this is just Matthew speculating, folks. We don't have any solid information on this. It's true. Making it up. I'm just wishing, wishing. Brenda, anything grab your attention? Yeah. One thing that caught my eye was that um, Atlassian's rolling out a new media uploader. Um, I, I, I am a big proponent of adding files and images and, and anything you can into Jira. And I mean, let's face it, it's kind of a drag. Um, it, it takes forever. It's, it's been improving slowly and steadily over the years, but it's, it's just like, you know, it, it takes a while to click here and open up a dialogue and find your document and upload it, et cetera. So I'm, I'm really anxious to see what this fancy new media uploader with handy recent files list and image annotations looks like. Um, so that's something that, that caught my eye in particular. Um, but a lot of, a lot of updates to things like boards, um, just really anxious to see some of the things that they've got built in there. Um, I'm always interested in updates to backlog views. Um, so they've updated the issue view on the backlog. Things like that are things that, that really catch my eye on stuff like this. Moving on to the the big story of last week, AWS, Amazon Web Service, had a major outage on their East Coast. And Atlassian was one of the customers uh, affected by this to where... Um, even status page wasn't up. So first, we, we've 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 highlighted a series of articles um, that, or two articles that that really bring this to the fore. And the first one comes from GeekWire, where they talk about how Atlassian actually moved their cloud users into AWS and some lessons that it learned along the way. Some of the technical details in this article are really interesting. Atlassian had to re-engineer a lot to move from their own hosted service into AWS. But they've also had to learn uh, some tough lessons along the way as well. Yeah, I think it it might be news that Atlassian Cloud is on AWS. Because as the article points out, for most customers, they didn't see any interruption in service. It just, you know, there were challenges along the way, but for most customers, it was a smooth transition. 
So when AWS went down and it took their Atlassian system with it, it may have that may have been the moment when they realized, oh, <laughs> that that's, this is where I'm at now. It was really interesting to me to read about some of the engineering challenges of moving from single tenant to multi tenant infrastructure. Um, so they talk in this article about um, you know when you're searching. It used to have to do a re-index every time, so they wanted to change the way they wrote their queries. And uh, as they were working on that, they realized that they were getting different answers and were basically tearing their hair out trying to figure out how do we make our, the new architecture return the same results. And they go, oh, wait, wait, actually, we're doing it better now. And that's one of those those moments as, as someone in, in tech, you know, I've, uh, programming, regression testing, all that stuff. It's like, oh, right. Yeah, we actually fixed a problem we didn't know was there. That's the sort of aha moment that I can just imagine. You know, they mentioned having 30 or 40 developers working on this problem. I can just imagine being in that room when everyone goes, wait a second, wait. And so that I actually got a bit of a giggle out of that little anecdote in the article. Um, but it was really interesting hearing about just some of the challenges that they had faced, um, you know, here, here are things we've done for years and years and years to improve performance on our single tenant architecture. Yeah, we don't need those anymore. And so that just sort of thinking in terms of how, how do you engineer, you know, moving to something like AWS uh, on such a massive scale, there's, there's so much that, that I imagine that they learned in the process of doing it. But it, this was a very interesting article for me to read uh, just learning about some of the pain points that they hit through that process. And it's an important lesson in avoiding that sunk cost fallacy. Because when they mention, well, we spent all of this time investing in building our single tenant architecture, which we don't need anymore. And they moved to something else. You know, good. Uh, it, you built what you needed at the time. And it's important to be able to let that go and, and move on to, to something that's better. And just because they've moved on to something that's better doesn't mean that work in the past you know, wasn't valuable or wasn't worth doing. And I think that's a good lesson for any team, um, whether you're doing software development or any other type of work. The stuff you did in the past, it was what you needed then, but always be looking for how you can improve and do something better in the future. And I'm glad Atlassian is uh, open to having those conversations and thinking through that and, and figuring out how they can keep driving things forward. So they, they're actually at a point where they need to start considering the future because of last week's outage and the severity of it to cloud. It was, everything was out. Um, we were going to link to an, a CNBC article that talks about how um, Atlassian services, including Bitbucket, Confluence, Jira, everything was down. So what lessons yeah, do you they, think Atlassian's going to get from this? Well, the thing I found really interesting as I, as I went through the various articles is that the root cause of this was a power outage. Uh, just... The whole AWS's Eastern data center lost power. They thought they had a redundant power line. It, it didn't work. Um, and as Atlassian, I honestly, I don't think there's a lot you can do about that. When when everything goes down, your your SOL. Uh, it, it reminds me of a um, oh, it was last month I think, or a month and a half ago. Uh, AT and T had a major backbone outage in the Midwest United States. I mean, it was, I don't remember, 15, 16 states lost internet. There's nothing you can do when the backbone goes out. You're, you know, there's no way around this. You know, same thing, you know, when your house's power goes out, what are you going to do? Um, but it, it's, you know, then you could still, say, have a backup generator, have something like that. When the backbone for the internet goes out, 
you have no recourse. And when the power goes out for your data center, where all of your data lives, nothing is getting in or out at that point. So the data center said they're going to be working on making sure it doesn't happen again, but ultimately bad stuff happens. I do feel like the response has been positive and proactive. They were back up quick, you know, and, and one of the things that one of the articles highlighted was if this had been Atlassian's data center, like a, a private data center, and they were still doing all the single tenant stuff, they would have had a hard crash and it would have taken days as it was, you know, with Amazon, they got back up and running relatively quickly, you know? So I think overall, you know, while there's frustration about being down, I think it's actually a success story. I think it's actually, and this isn't like a temp to spin. I don't, I don't work for Atlassian. I don't, you know, I, but it was like, it was like an afternoon. Like I remember Netflix going down years ago and you would be down for days or, or other services like that, where it's just, you know, in these growing pains, the architecture and the infrastructure has reached such like an, like a really interesting and impressive point where these catastrophes are a whole lot less catastrophic than they used to be. And I think that's pretty cool. And we're just placed a huge order with Amazon for surge protectors. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing. It's like you put in an ups and great. You know, if there's a brownout, if there's a power fluctuation, we're going to stay stable and everything. Those batteries only last so long. Yeah. And then you put in a generator backup. I had to do, you know, help with this in our old data center. You put in a generator backup, you're going to, you know, but you can run out of gas eventually. And, in a situation like this, where it's due to inclement weather, you know, you get a bunch of snow, you get a bunch of ice, you get a bunch of flooding, something that prevents the trucks to bring in the fuel. These types of things, they're, you know, they're going to happen. Um, and so it's important, you know, if you're an, an Alaskan customer, it's important for you to be creating your own disaster recovery plans as well. Um, you, you can only outsource so much of your disaster recovery and so much of, you know, your business. Uh, so be thinking through what do we do when Jira goes down, you know, do we need to go home the rest of the day or is there some way that we can continue getting business done, working with our customers, moving projects forward and, and have some contingency plans in place. And that's not necessarily just a, a major disaster. It's, you know, if, if you, and, and many companies do have disaster recovery in place, but, um, if you're, if you're not sure if you have some sort of disaster recovery plan, that's certainly something to, to talk about after something like this. So, you know, hey, let's think about what we do if something does go down. So the outage story ends on a happy on a happy note. And another happy note from Atlassian is Atlassian president Jay Simons profiled in the Seattle Times. Brenda, what'd you take away from that article? I took away um, just a very strong sense of perseverance, and I, I loved. I, ab- I absolutely loved this article. Um, I, I've met Jay Simons. He is one of the friendliest, most warm people I think I've ever met. And the story in this article, where he started piano lessons when he was four, his mother wouldn't let him quit when he was ten years old. He ran away from home, and um, he said that you know the police picked him up and he called his mom to come get him, and and she said, "Are you going to keep playing piano?" And he said, "No." And she's like, "All right, stay there." And and it was this is this is important. I, I want you to to stick with this thing. Um, and and then he goes on to have this, these incredible experiences playing piano in other countries. And, and it's, it's one of those things where it's just sticking with something can be very difficult. And it's, you know, you never know what the payoff is going to be on something when it feels like, oh, I, I, I want, I, this is so miserable, I just want to run away. 
Um, and, and so it was a very interesting story around finding out what it is that you want to do, but then also being willing to try other things a little bit. Um, you know, here's, here's an opportunity to go play piano in Myanmar. I would never have thought of doing that, but I'm going to do that. And, and it's just one of those very formative experiences that, that Jay had. Um, and so it's, it was interesting to me to see how his career kind of was shaped by a lot of that stuff and the, the willingness to try new things, but then not give up on them because it's very easy. You know, I'm, I, I fall into this category myself of I'm, I'm going to start a thing and then I'm going to lose interest and I'm just going to wander off. And now I've got, you know, a pile of craft supplies for projects that I'm never going to finish sitting in my bedroom, that sort of thing. Um, stick with it, stick with it, stick with it, keep practicing just because maybe you don't feel like you're good at something right now. It doesn't mean you won't be good at it later. Um, so it's, it was a very, I just, I, this whole article just made me smile from beginning to end. It was really pretty neat. What I have to ask though, is that, um, I also have experience in sales and marketing and why aren't I the president of a multi-billion dollar company yet? Lack of stick to itiveness. Stick with it, Ryan. Yeah, I got to stick with it. <laughs> I I really identified with this article. I felt like my career has had a, a, a has been similarly positively influenced by just sticking with stuff. Um, you know, I was uh, working with computers at a fairly early age, um, and was a manager at a fairly early age. And I had a lot of friends who were like, you know, how are you doing this in your, in your early twenties and, or doing this by the time you were 30. And it's like, well, I've worked for the same place for over 10 years. It it just sort of happens. You keep doing the same thing. You get better and better at it. And it's, it's that um, sort of 10,000 hours myth. I don't know if that's, if that whole, if you practice something for 10,000 hours, you master it. You're one of the best in the world. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's not. But at the same time, when I think about it in terms of a career, Typical person works about 2,000 hours a year. If you do something consistently for five years full time, you can become pretty good at it if you apply yourself. Um, and, and, you know, we see this with our Atlassian consultants. Some of us have been doing this for five, eight, 10 years. You get to know it pretty well. And so, um, I, yeah, I identified with this. I felt like my, my career has had a similar bend of just doing this thing, sticking with it. Sometimes I, I really hated it. There were some nights, you know, middle of the night where I'm doing an upgrade. I really hate it. Don't want to do it anymore. Um, but in the end, it has, it has paid off, you know, and, uh, and there are other things I look back, I kind of wish I had, you know, wish I had stuck with better, uh, especially in music, you know? But, yeah. Your piano lessons. Yeah. Or for me, violin. I, I also enjoyed the article. Be sure to pick up the link from it here in the SoundCloud description for this podcast. And Jay, if you're listening, let's jam, man. Holler at your boy. Moving on to partner news. Tempo published a great article recently, and it talks about strategic ways to spend what le- what's left of your budget. And if there's anything I can identify with, it's blowing copious amounts of cash. However, <laughs> in, in this blog, because as your budget comes up, you use it or you lose it, right? We're all so used to hearing that. But what Tempo says is, yeah, use it. But use it in a mindful way. Use it in a way that makes your team's life better. What do you think, Matthew? Uh, I agree. And one of the things I like is the the title of the article just puts it off on a, or, or really the category, I guess, puts it off on the right foot. It's agile budgeting. 
So this is, this is not budgeting a year or two in advance. This is not saying like, you know, at this point, but it's, it's one of the principles of agile is being open to what arises, you know, and being willing to pivot or being willing to do something a bit different based on what you've experienced. And so when you reach the end of a year and you realize you've got some money left, how do we invest that in our people, in our company? And that was really their focus here was investing in their people. Um, one of the things they have right at the top in terms of improving your work environment that I particularly appreciate. Get a premium coffee is, maker. Yeah, the premium coffee maker, providing refreshments for employees. Uh, one of the other people in our Springfield office commented yesterday that, uh, that we get coffee from the mud house is one of the huge perks working for us. And like, it's not like these coffee beans are that much more expensive than if we went and bought just like a bag from the grocery store, but it communicates just sort of like this little level of value, this little level of quality and it brings a little brightness to your day. And it's just that, that little bit that, it makes people want to come to the office and see each other. I mean, that's not the only thing that makes people want to come to the office. There's the snacks. There's also the refreshments, the snacks. But, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, I liked Tempo's focus in this blog, you know, um, adjustable desks so team members can choose to sit or stand or get some plants, update the lighting, create quiet spaces. Like it's, it's investing in your people to help them enjoy work and be more productive and happier because these two often go together. And, and work better together. Um, and the rest article, it's, it's a lot of that uh, investment in, in the team and in your employees. It's not uh, investing in negative things. Like, Brenda, what would be like, what's the wrong thing you should spend your budget on at the end of the year? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I've seen a lot of people go, yeah, we've got budget left over. Let's, um, you know, let's stock up on Ethernet cables. Which people always need Ethernet cables. This is true. Power strips. Power strips. Amazon. Um, <laughs> too soon. Too soon. Too soon. Um, <laughs> um, but but this article talks a lot about investing back in the team, and, and one point they make is invest in learning. Um, and and I've been in an environment where I've said, you know, I, I'd like to learn a new thing that would be relevant to my job area. It's like, well, you know, we'll run it through an approval process and. We'll send it up the chain and, and yeah, we don't think this is worth you doing. It's like, but it would make me better at my job. Yeah, we don't really care. So it's, it kind of relates to the whole, you know, you could spend that budget on stuff or you mm -hmm. could spend the budget on people. And I've been on teams where it's clear that the people are first and foremost in management's mind, you know, and I've been in environments where it's clearly not. And so those sorts of things really are going to help a team feel happy and productive if you, you know, like the quiet spaces uh, is the thing in the article. I've been in situations where it's like, well, you had an office with a door. That's nice. Now you're in a cubicle and now we're taking the cubicles away and we're putting you in pods and two people are going to be in the space that you had in your cubicle. I have a friend who's going through this right now and he's very introverted and he's had an office for 15 years and he's now being asked to sit in this open, loud work environment and he's really struggling with that. So just having somewhere that he could take his laptop and, and sit in quiet for a little bit to get something done, you know, it may not seem all that big, but that's really, really helpful for especially some of our, you know, teammates who might be extremely introverted. But this brings up something important. When you're, when you're talking to your team, you're not just talking to Legion. You're not talking to, to an even flat, flat surface. You're talking with different types of people. And two of the types of people that you work with are introverts and extroverts. 
Atlassian's blog had a great post about working with introverts. Now, I of the three on this podcast, I am the extrovert, and the other two are introverts, and I don't think that they would argue with me with that. So I found that this blog, because I have to work with introverts, was very, very useful in, in me being able to step back and say, how do I get the most out of the team members who are not so comfortable with putting their foot in their mouth as people like I am? So what did you guys think of the introvert article? Was it on, was it on from your experience as introverts? As, as one of possibly the most introverted people on the planet, um, everything in this article resonated with me. Um, you know, it's, I can be in a meeting and, and I get, I get to where I'll shut down if people are trying to talk over each other. And it's like, I can't contribute anything if more than one person is talking. Um, and that's a very stressful situation for me to be in. Um, so a lot of what's in this article, absolutely, you know, being around people in general, whether they're introvert or extrovert for me is very draining. Um, and it's really hard for me sometimes to feel like I should even try to speak up over people who are, are in a meeting or, you know, we're on a call with colleagues around the world and here's all these people who have these things to say. And it's like, how can I even make my voice heard? And so there was a point in the article about, the author likes to send feedback in writing following the meeting. And that that's wonderful. And I think that a, a, a good thing to do, especially if you can tell that a, a coworker is introverted, is in your meeting say, we're going to wrap up for right now, but if you have any additional feedback that you'd like to give us, please feel free to send an email. Because that would give a person permission if they were feeling like, oh, I really shouldn't, I shouldn't butt in on this. But it would be okay if I went back and I organized my thoughts and I wrote it down and I put it in email and then we could maybe discuss it, you know, over hip chat or something like that. Um, it's that, that really just that someone would be willing to consider, you know, making that an option for a team member, I thought was fantastic. Um, and, and, and just the point in the article about celebrating the introverts on your team. I mean, it's very easy for extroverts to, to take up space in a room and the introverts sit there and go, I just, I, I need a quiet space. I want to go away. I'm scared. And <clears throat> celebrating the value that an introvert brings to a team is going to be really helpful for that introvert. And I'm not saying that you have to, you know, oh, start every meeting with now, if you're an introvert, we want to make sure that you feel heard, but just celebrate introverts in general. Um, and, and that can be very, very small things. And do it quietly. Yeah, we're going to do it very quietly and in writing after the meeting. Um, but it's we, we can be kind of perceived as slow on the uptake or slow to respond. I mean, the story of my life is coming up with a snappy comeback three weeks later. Um, so it can be frustrating to work with people like us. And, and so things like understanding that we're introverted, that we need a little space, sometimes we need quiet, just something like, um, you know, that meeting was really loud. And if I got the feeling you had something you wanted to say, but uh, if you need some time to organize your thoughts, why don't we go get coffee in a few hours? Just something like that would be really, really helpful for an introvert. One of the things that I liked about this article was the reference to Susan Cain's book, Quiet, uh, which is one of my my favorite books on the subject of introversion and working together. Because one of the things that Miss um, Cain highlights is introverts have different strengths. Um, it's not that you have to compensate for the introvert. It's they are bringing a totally different strength and skill set that you wouldn't otherwise have. And so to Brenda's point about the, the meetings, one of the things that I recommend people do 
is send out an agenda for a meeting at least a few days in advance. Um, let everybody know what you're going to be talking about. Because as an introvert, when we walk into the meeting and I don't know what's going on and we say, okay, let's talk about this now. I can't process because people are talking. I'm, I'm really focused on what you're saying. And so I'm not going to have anything valuable to contribute. I don't have any plans. I don't have any thoughts. I don't have any data. If you send me something a couple days in advance or even just a day in advance uh, or the night before, I had this happen last week. Um, I, was, I had a really important day-long meeting. I got the agenda at 6 p.m. the night before. And so I worked on it that night and that morning, the next morning before the meeting. So I would have something, but then I can walk in the door and say, here's everything we need to be productive. I've got the budgets. I've got the finance data. I've got ideas. I've got, you know, and how we're going to measure the effectiveness of those ideas. How can we know that outcomes are going to be effective? How can we know we're doing the right thing? How can we hold ourselves accountable? But one of the the things that I feel I'm, I'm particularly good at as, as an introvert is thinking things through pretty holistically. And I process, the only way I do that is I process silently. Um, I can't do that in the midst of a meeting. So leverage the strengths of the different people on your teams by giving them opportunities to contribute in a way that works for them. Um, One other example of this is when brainstorming, when you're kicking off a brainstorming session, you can do that as a group, but give five minutes of it being silent. People can write down thoughts and then you move into discussion. And again, this isn't, compensating for people. like It's just a different way of engaging with the world. And I appreciate that Atlassian highlights this. I appreciate that you know they're thinking always about how do we work better together. All of the things that both of you have pointed out, though, none of these things are bad for extroverts. Actually, to make somebody sit quietly and think before they open their yap is a great idea. Well, I mean... The thing is, extroverts often do process out loud. And so it can be difficult. I recognize uh, there was a meeting I was in last week where one of the extroverts in the meeting had music playing during the meeting because for her, she, she liked that background noise. It, it's like that's helpful for her to process. It takes that sort of creative portion of her brain and gives it something so that an objective portion that's more logical can be focused and doing stuff. Whereas for me, like I can't do anything. Uh, creative when there's music going on. Like that's, I am focused on that. Um, and so I, I typically don't have background noise, especially if I'm writing or if I'm thinking through a complex problem. Uh, and so, you know, we just, we process differently. And the really important thing is just to be aware of that and to know, you know, how we as a team can work together to maximize all of our strengths. Well, that brings us to the end of another edition of Adaptivist Live. For links to the articles we discussed today, be sure to reference the description in this episode's SoundCloud. If you'd like to be featured on the Adaptivist Live podcast, please send us an email at learn at adaptivist.com. For Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrell, I'm Ryan Spilkin, and we'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. Did you forget what the big story was? No.